I was going to say, I think when people get into business and they can see that there's an opportunity to do more and they don't because they're comfortable, that's, I think that's the first day of the demise of their business. But like you said, when people can see that there's potential for, for more revenue and you, and you have to pursue it. I mean, that's, I think your job as a business person, as an entrepreneur to pursue more, uh, Welcome to the podcast, Stairies, episode seven. Our guests today are Joe and Amy Mikowski. Joe and Amy are owners of Uniform Outfitters in Erie, Pennsylvania. Joe's also a full-time police officer with a Mill Creek Township and has been there for the last 11 years. He is also a certified instructor with Mercyhurst University in their Act 120 Police Academy. Joe and Amy are also the proud parents of two boys ages three and five. Uniform Outfitters is located at 1596 West 38th Street in Erie. They specialize in police, fire, and EMS workwear. In addition to Joe and Amy, uh, they have 10, uh, a staff of 10 that support their operations. Uniform Outfitters opens its doors for the first time in 2015, and since then um, have grown to become a leading supplier in Northwest Pennsylvania region. We're excited to hear about your story and how you've grown through your challenges and perseverance and the vision on on where you got there today and where you see yourself in the future. And Joe and Amy, it's it's really a pleasure to have you both on our podcast today. Um, yes, thank you. You're welcome. So, how just before we get into the formal questions, how do you how do you juggle being a parent, working full time, and running your own business? As I was just telling you, I have two little kids, but I certainly don't run my entire shop so what it has to be difficult running your own business how do you juggle all of that uh mostly uh, i attribute all that to my wife amy she mm-hmm. without her i couldn't do nearly any of this stuff and uh, she does she's a big part of the reason why we can do what we do because you know her ability to to manage all those things and me um <laughs> makes everything work got it understand understand i wish i had an amy <laughs> I wish I had another one. I need yeah. another one of me too. <laughs> so how did you guys get started in business, in the business? So, you know, as a being in law enforcement, um, there was a, a company in our town that, that did service a lot of the agencies around us and they were really, really bad at what they did. And everybody, you know, in the kind of that law enforcement circle said, oh, somebody should open up a uniform shop. They would, you know, do really well, but nobody ever really did it. And, uh, you know, so I kind of, I saw an opportunity there where, you know, I thought, you know, doing over some, some business plans and talking to different folks that it could probably be pretty successful with, uh, with getting in there. And just all we had to do was do a better job than the other company. And, that's kind of how it went down. And that other company closed their, their doors, you know, a few months after we opened because we did take a lot of their business. Gotcha. Just, just to clarify for any listeners. So uniform outfitters, they're like, what, what kind of uniforms? We do, uh, you know, basically any, anybody that works, that wears a uniform. I mean, we're going from EMS providers to hospital staff, you know, like scrubs to police and firemen and, we you know go as far as their equipment as with body armor for firemen. We do turnout gear, the the stuff they wear when they go into burning buildings, um, cool. you know, to 
footwear, sock, everything, anything you can think of. And this includes, uh, you know, public works employees, the guys that are, you know, cleaning the parks and tearing up the roads and, you know, everything. We, we try to, to do anything that anybody wears a uniform for, we try to be there for them. Gotcha. That's pretty amazing. Um, you went from a small store of just uh, you and Amy, and now you have um, a total staff of 12. What were the challenges um, with that amount of growth in such a short amount of time? Uh, yeah, I mean, so of course, you know, we were trying to be as conservative as we could when we first started. And uh, we had some, some, uh, some pretty good contacts in the business community that got us set up with a storefront fairly quickly and inexpensively. But we soon found out just because of the demand of our customers that there was no way we were going to be able to grow unless our store actually grew. So it kind of went hand in hand. And um, to be able to do that, you know, we had to make smart financial decisions. And for the first, I mean, even today, since we've been open, neither Amy and I take really a draw out of this business. Everything we make, uh, other than, of course, paying labor costs, goes right back into the business to keep it growing. Um, that's the fortunate thing that we have because I still you know, work a full-time job outside of here. And that's when they say, you know, that you don't really start making money until your business has been there for five years. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, you know, the business has been making money and has been growing, but we've been fortunate enough to invest it back into the business to be able to grow. And, um, now that we're in our new building, we really think that things are going to take off. So this next question is around COVID. It might be more, I would be interested to hear it from your, um, your works, your, your police officers side of it. Um, but, but really a lot of the big discussion is around, is around COVID how does it affect your day-to-day operation? Um, did you guys need to get creative in the store other than what we've been hearing with, you know, masks to be worn inside the stores? So the approach we took at our business was we, you know, supply our customers and our staff with the appropriate protection gear that they need, but we give them the decision to wear it or not. We don't force our customers to wear anything and we don't force our employees to wear anything. Certainly, if they feel like they they need to protect themselves, you know, we don't have a problem with that. Um, You know, so that's kind of the model we've been going and we haven't had any problems. Would you say most, most, sorry for interrupting, most people are wearing them if you're giving them a choice? um, No, I believe it or not. I would say that it's it's probably less than 25%. I think we, we even have customers that come here specifically because we don't require them to wear a mask and um because it's not a law it's you know it's not yeah it's not a law it's not, it's just an, a guideline or, or if you want to call it a mandate from the state but there's no real enforcement for it and even from a law enforcement perspective if somebody were to call the police because somebody's not wearing a mask there's no real enforcement for that us to do anything it's really falls down to the business so for instance, if somebody went into giant eagle and said you know you can't be here because you're not having a mask the business can refuse service just like they can to anybody and they could be trespassed, but there's no, no real liability mm-hmm. or uh, like criminal matter for somebody not wearing a mask. At least there isn't right now. Hopefully that doesn't change because, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think that would be appropriate, but. Right. 
So what about from the, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, but I'm going to anyway. Um, well, we're allowed, it's our podcast. We can talk about whatever we want, right, Barney? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, if you're comfortable talking about it, at least. Um, as a police officer, what, what is the biggest thing from your pers- from that perspective has, that has changed? Um, I mean, it's not, it really hasn't changed our job, so to say, so to speak. I mean, they, if somebody, if we're going to a house that has a report of a COVID exposure, you know, we try to protect ourselves better. We, we do a lot more, uh, like non-emergency kind of calls over the phone, uh, you know, just like report taking calls. Um, and you know, the guys, we all, you know, our department requires us to wear masks. So the guys wear masks because their, their employer says so, you know, um, but you know, if we go on scene and somebody doesn't want to wear a mask, I can't make them wear a mask um, because you know it's just it's just the way it is. But you know, certainly we can protect ourselves as much as we can and limit our exposure and time that we spend with people that that we don't have to. Even with uh, when we take prisoners uh, for somebody that we arrest, a lot of times now the um, the judges are just releasing these people. Um, without arraignment so that we can limit contact of course these are non-violent crimes of course but um just to limit exposure to anybody um the the imprisonment rates are down probably like i don't know if that's the right term but would you say the people entering prisons are down no um i mean people are still committing crimes if not we're getting a little bit of an influx lately that's typical because of the holidays um but no i you know there's there's things that the the prisons can't refuse to take especially from a judge's orders but um i i wouldn't say that i would say that it's probably pretty average do you think covid brought um an increase in in crime or anything along those lines just because i mean we are marnie and and mark they're steve they run a security business right and at the beginning of it, I was like, you know, I think that there's going to be a, a need for you guys more now than ever. Would you say that, you know, people are, there's more, in my mind, it starts with anxiety and they're like starting committing crimes after that. But have you noticed an increase in that just at the beginning of COVID? I would say at the beginning or when, when everything first kind of broke loose, like way back in March, um, crime and, and even just contacts in general were, were significantly down, but as the nice the nicer weather came in and summer broke loose it kind of just went right back to normal gotcha okay and from a business perspective um with your sales did you have a decline and then it ramped back up did you stay pretty steady or um since you're supplying um various uniforms and stuff did you have an explosion this year right so When COVID kind of first broke out earlier this year, um, when the governor requested uh, or mandated whatever um, for businesses to kind of close or slow down or limit their hours, we did fall under a essential business being that we supply to these first responders and they need their uniforms and they need their equipment to do their job. So we did limit our hours a little bit um, just to make our staff feel good, um, make our customers feel good that we're, you know, trying to limit contact with other people. But I would say during the mandated kind of quarantine where the businesses were shut down, we limited our hours. 
but as soon as those couple weeks or maybe the month was over, um, we were back to normal hours and, um, luckily we didn't see a big decline in sales because our customers were still working. And, um, if, you know, if anything, they needed us more than ever because they were working more hours and going through, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, luckily, um, what we do was still very much needed during the pandemic. Well, that's good that you're able to stay operational um, and thankful that you guys can supply because I, I know um, we, we get stuff from you guys and um, it, it's, it's just helpful when everything else is kind of shut down and to come in, in into your business. It's very, very welcoming and um, you guys have a good finger on the pulse on, um, for these industries. Um, where do you see yourselves in the future with your business? Do you have plans to grow more, to franchise out? Yeah, we, we've discussed a couple different things. And, you know, one of the, I think the biggest things that we need to get into is our um, online sales. We Our online presence is kind of weak and we recognize that. It can be an expensive endeavor uh, just for the systems to be put in place to have an appropriate online sales that, that follows our inventory. Um, so it's one thing that we've, I don't want to say we've been putting off, but we have, um, and you know, we, we've even talked about, I've, I've talked with Steve in the past or just recently about possibly expanding into other, um, areas of the country, uh, with our, with our brand. And again, it's, it's difficult when, um, you're, you have just enough staff to do the work that you have. I mean, we, we need to expand, but we need to recover a little bit too from the COVID thing. And uh, also, you know, our, when we purchased this new property during COVID, you know, we put uh, a lot of money into renovating this building so that it would work out for us. So we had a lot of money wrapped up into that. So it kind of, we had to make a decision what was more important at the time. And we thought the building uh, renovations were, and again, then we got smacked with COVID during that and it didn't, didn't help matters. So we're starting to pull out of that a little bit now. Um, but, uh, you know, time will tell, but the, our plans are to, like I said, to be able to have say such as a company as, as Steve, as your guys is to just log into our website, place an order, and then we ship it down to you. That that's ideally what we want. Something kind of automated and streamlined. So I have a question, and obviously I'm not going to try to sell you anything, but this is what I do for a living. Um, and it looked like, and I, I'm just wondering, so when you said it felt overwhelming at first, what overwhelming about going online? Why did it feel overwhelming? The money that they want to do it. Gotcha. You know, I mean, we've had quotes from 8000 to $30,000, depending on how we want it set up. And that's just a lot to bite off. You know, we spend a lot of money on equipment here. And uh, sorry about that. We spent a lot of money on equipment here at the store. You know, we just invested $20,000 into a embroidery machine so we can do our own embroidery here without having to pay somebody else to do it. So it we trying to prioritize what, you know, we think is financially sound. Right. I feel like by going online, it um, we automatically fall into expectations with other online companies. And right now, um, we are 
pretty busy with our departments. We service almost 200 different departments. And if we were to have an online um, site where people could purchase items, if someone purchased a shirt and a police officer came in the store that day and bought that shirt, and then I didn't have one to ship out to the person who bought it online, some of our manufacturers take, most of them take a week and a half to two weeks to get us product. Some of them take as long as three to four weeks um, and, you know, back orders are even longer. And to try and tell a customer who bought that online that their product isn't going to be here for two or three weeks, where they're used to, even I'm used to picking out something on Amazon or Walmart or Target and it's on my front door in two days. So I, I feel like the expectations for being online um, are very, are held to very high standards. And I don't know that our providing a brick and mortar and online at the same time, I wouldn't want to have a bad reputation online. I'd rather not even jump in there until I knew I could do it well, you know. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, and I could, I could, I couldn't. I mean, I could imagine why that would be difficult as as someone with a brick and mortar store because it's like you opened the shop up because there were you like you said there was one other competitor and they weren't doing a really great job. And now you're suddenly online with hundreds of thousands of competitors. Right. right. So it's hard, but I would I would say as long as you you stick you keep the customer at the forefront of your um, of the needs, right. And, and you, you still deliver this, this extraordinary customer experience. Um, people will choose you because just like you said, it's, it's about like what happens, you know, you don't want to not be able to offer this person who just sold this or ordered this online. If someone came into the store, it's like, who do you prioritize? But there are absolutely ways of, of making sure that your inventory levels are, are accurate. It's just a matter of, like you said, starting with the right software, the right, um, approach from the beginning, so you, and it's not like you're going to get everything correct, I think, but I think that a lot of, of um, retail shops are in your exact same position. So once you do go online, I um, would love to follow your journey and, and I commend you for having the courage to do it because it's, it's a, it's a big undertaking. Right. Yeah, exactly. And being, you know, a local business that provides to a specific, you know, part of the community, I really don't when we're able to move forward online, I don't want their, you know, customer service in store to suffer because we're busy focusing on, you know, online sales. So just the, the small business struggle, if you yeah. will. Yeah. You probably have to hire more staff to just to deal with the online stuff. And, but think about it. I mean, your, your customer base is, you you have more competitors, but your customer base will, will be a lot larger as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That, um, but I can understand why the change is, is difficult. So on a more personal note, um, do the kids come into the store and help mom and dad out with the uh, packing? They're here right now. <laughs> we got them, uh, in front of a tablet doing schoolwork. Cause now not only are we business owners and employees, we're now turning into teachers because schools are shut down again and. Mm-hmm. It's a whole nother, I don't want to say nightmare, but a whole nother task mm-hmm. for us to do and that we don't know how and we're going to learn, I right. guess, because <laughs> we don't really have a choice in the matter. 
Yeah, I, I'm a, I got it a little bit easy right now. Um, both of my kids, uh, they're adults and, and they are, they do their online schooling and um, I don't have to deal with a lot of the headaches that, that I hear. Um, uh, my friends uh, who have children who are actually in the primary and high school, um, but even just watching them do their co- their courses online it, it's extremely frustrating and the technology um, is always not the best trying to maintain that so I can understand the hesitation even going for like an e-commerce more push in your business um, just watching watching people struggle through trying to get the online learning and everybody being on and yeah, it's just. I know. I I thought I was like a tech person, and I'm like, I can't get this microphone to work. So, <laughs> but I but I get it, and I didn't re- even realize like, oh yeah, they're running a business and they have their two children at home because you guys are in Mill Creek, and that's that's full time at home. That's mm-hmm. a lot. So. Yeah, we're we're very fortunate that our little guy, our three year old, um, is at an in home daycare. So. It's just this lady who watches a couple kids that are home, and um, since it's in home, she's happy to take him right now. And if um, if she wasn't able to take him, I would physically have to be home with both kids, just because um, when they're at the store, it's just not an environment for a kid number one to hang out for eight hours, but number two to try and do schoolwork and hang out for eight hours. And there's just too many push pins and box cutters and, you know, things that they don't need to be touching or um, messing with that are laying around here. But our five-year-old is going to start being here a little bit with us. And I just hope that, you know, the longer he's here, he kind of gets used to what's expected of him and what's okay to do and what's not okay to do Um, but it definitely when he's here it definitely takes me away from being able to help customers answer the phone you know work with product help employees um it's definitely a struggle right now well who knows you're six you can have your own daycare in store right (laughs) i do not want to run it I know growing up, um, my grandfather had a small convenience store and um, I spent many, many hours with my mom while she worked. Um, And I I was probably about five when I would be there longer times. And I started helping out, you know, getting a plastic bag or, you know, a bag of chips or take a newspaper to the neighbor across the street. It's a, it's a really good learning experience and a good foundation, I think, for the younger kids to understand a little bit more of, of the adult world, but not being expected to be an adult. Um, so congratulations and good luck with that. I mean, it's it's um, it's an experience. <laughs> Mari, I didn't know that about you. That's cool. Um, if you guys don't mind me asking, because I always like to know people's like their childhood, because it really does form your, I think at least, your adulthood. Were you, did, were your parents small business owners? Um, I grew up in the hood in a single mother household, I suppose. And my dad was a business owner. He just did construction. He was a contractor uh, when I was a kid. And his business actually grew 
into a multi-million dollar business. Um, oh, wow. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard of Splash Lagoon. I oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, you know, I, I actually worked for him when we, we built that. So, you know, my, my father general contracted that bit, that whole uh, job. And there was other places around town. He's done a lot of, his primary business was uh, water parks and pools. And he's done them all over the country. So he, he did really well for himself. And his retirement plan was uh, he bought uh, some land and opened up a campground called Sparrow Pond Campground in Waterford. So, you know, I, I guess I can say I pulled some inspiration, my entrepreneurial spirit from him. Um, but, you know. And your resilience from your mom. Yeah. 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 You know, and uh, of course she remarried and, you know, she she did did well for herself and, um you know, her, uh, my stepfather. So, you know, we're, we're from the, uh, lack of a better word, we're from the hood and, you know, kind of made it work and made it happen for ourselves. Um, as far as Amy, she, you know, her family are all working family and, you know, nobody really had it easy coming up. So, you know, I guess our lessons learned in that, which, uh, were important. Yeah, I think the people who have those tough backgrounds have experienced adversity, obviously, um, are pretty well, well, as long as they use their adversity and resilience in a positive way, um, do really well. So that's interesting to hear your background as well. And Amy, I, or um, Marnie, I did not know you started working at the age of five. Yeah, I, I was I was down there. Um, my grandfather, he was... Um like locally famous for his ham salad and his chipped ham and he would ship it like across the country which is kind of unheard of you know back in the 80s and and 90s um before e-commerce took off but he was just a little corner store and um he he was there for 57 years um before he sold the business so I have a, a a job that uh, you don't see anymore. I probably was the last generation of it. I was actually a a paper boy at eleven. That was my first job, and you know I oh, had wow. the the whole you know paper sack, and I had a route and threw papers on people's porches. And you know, I it's unfortunate they don't do that anymore because I did learn a lot about um, responsibility and and a little bit about business because I had to collect my own money and pay my pay the times my mm-hmm. their cut and you know my and, dad uh, was also a paper boy he could i'm gonna stop you because he'll talk about it for three hours <laughs> <laughs> so, but that, that's really cool yeah. that's how my grandfather started he um he he did the newspapers and he helped um the milkman with um the glass bottles and delivering at times and and that just that gave him the edge and he was always looking to make it better and find ways to collect and, and expand and grow. And I think that's what helped him when he got into his storefront was that drive and that understanding early on. I was going to say, I think when people get into business and they can see that there's an opportunity to do more and they don't because they're comfortable, that's, I think that's the first day of the demise of their business. But like you said, when people can see that there's potential for, for more revenue and you, and you have to pursue it. I mean, that's, I think your job as a business person, as an entrepreneur to pursue more 
Uh, just be complacent. Some people yes. are, I mean, you can be if you want to be, but I think an entrepreneur at, at heart is not complacent. And I think Correct. in their DNA, it, it's, it's, they want more. And I think that's what's going to make you so well, which transition then to, so where do you guys see yourselves in the future with the business? Do you have, obviously you're, you're planning to do e-commerce eventually, but do you have, how, how much more growth do you plan to take on? I, I mean, I, I would love to franchise into different, um, market areas just because there's other places just like Erie out there that have, um, you know, a need for this service that don't have it, that have to buy everything online. And the one thing that I've learned with this too, is that, um, you know, we were really nervous going into it thinking that, you know, our biggest competition was going to be, you know, Amazon and all these companies that can deliver overnight and whatnot. But we've come to find that, um, most people still want to come in and touch, see the products before they try, you know, buy them, which is good. And there's still, um, a lot of, uh, you know, governmental type contracts out there that have to be serviced by brick and mortar. So that was kind of like a, a saving grace for us too, especially during COVID because, um, you know, it's not like it was you deciding whether you needed them or not. It was a company deciding whether they needed services or not. So that, that helped. This might sound like a really dumb, dumb statement, but so what I do with Amazon is I do an Amazon wardrobe, right? So I try, I, they send me the clothes, I try them on. If I don't like it, I send them back. Would you ever, would you ever consider that? Or is that not really practical for your industry? For, for right now, for us, because um, profit margins on our particular um, uniforms are not big enough to do that. Meaning there's a lot of cutthroat out there where stuff like, uh, for instance, I'll just say uh, Lou LaRue. I mean, that that was kind of like a flash in the plan, pan kind of thing. But, you know, that garment might be $15, but it only cost 80 cents for them to make. So they can ship it back and forth for free probably three times before they start eating into their profits. You know, so we don't really have that luxury right now. A lot of this, there's a lot of quality into the stuff that we sell because we've learned uh, in our business that it's it's not – it's not worth stocking stuff that's cheap or it's not worth that's even, even promoting stuff that's cheap because you end up in that, that same thing. People bring it back in a month or a day or whatever, and then they want it replaced or you got to do this or fix it. And, um, we've just learned that better products, you don't have that problem, of course. And you know, it kind of coins the term, you get what you pay for. Um, so you hear, you know, you hear so much about how businesses fail after the first or after they don't even make it into the first few years. What do you think your guys' key to the success are? What advice can you, you know, give the audience if they're thinking about starting their own business? I would say that uh, because we've had some friends and we've, you know, had some business acquaintances that kind of, you know, left their big corporate job and started something out on their own. But in the beginning, it can be such a slow climb and you don't, you can't really, I mean, you can try and you can try different avenues for marketing, but you don't really know how fast it will grow. And I think a big thing for us was that Joe was still working full time. I'm the one who left my job um, as an event coordinator at the convention center to open our retail store. And so I kind of fronted the business as my full-time job. And since Joe was 
more likely the expert in the field, he had a lot of input in what we brought into the store and he had a lot of experience with the products and things like that, that I had to learn. But from a family financial standpoint, his job, him staying in his full-time job was really keeping our family financials afloat while I was running the business and Joe was running the business in his outside of work hours. I think that for families that drop everything and jump in, it's a much bigger risk and it can work, but it can also flop. And, um, you know, I think you have to have kind of a backup plan like we did. My, uh, my advice to anybody that's looking to be their own boss or get into a business for themselves is, uh, you, you guys know who Mike Rowe is. Yeah. Oh Yeah. I the love dirty job, him. Yeah. The dirty jobs guy. There's something that he's, he, he said that, uh, and I like watching him. I watch, um, Gary V, uh, Gary, I think is Vanderchunk, Vanderchuk or something like that. Uh, he's like, you know, kind of like a business guru, I guess you could call him. But one thing that Mike Rowe said that I, I kind of took, took home was, uh, you know, it don't chase your dreams, but chase opportunity. And I, and I guess the example I would give is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that I, you know, and, and I'm not down, I'm not, uh, you know, downing this profession or anything like that, but you get a lot of these like younger people that are like, they'll go buy like a $700 or, you know, $7,000 camera system and want to be photographers and all this stuff. But there's, it's a small market or I'm sorry, it's a very flooded market. And, you know, there's, there's not a ton of money, especially in maybe in Erie for that kind of thing, but, and it's, but it's their dream, but it's not a liable dream. That's going to, you're going to be able to, you know, make a ton of money doing. And I guess the point of my story is, you know, if there's an opportunity to make money back to the micro thing, if there's nobody in Erie pumping, uh, you know, cleaning toilets, there's an opportunity there for somebody to make money to clean toilets. It might not be what you want to do, but you might make a million dollars cleaning toilets. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. So there, you're saying there has to be a need if you want to succeed. Yeah, you have to know. I mean, can we quote that, or is that there has to be a need if you want to succeed? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like it's just, it's like okay, you guys know Erie a little bit. Erie is what what do people eat in Erie? Pizza, chicken wings, and subs, right? So why would I open up a pizza shop in Erie? It, you know what I mean? It, it might be your dream to own a pizza shop, but unless you got something so special, you're just going to be as average as every other pizza shop. Um, That's true. And, you know, it's going to be hard and you're going to be, you know, if there's a million dollars a year spent in Erie on pizza, you're just taking a piece of that. And, and, and so, I mean, so if you did something special that was different, then that would be good. But, you know, like I said, it's not always the dream to, to be a pizza shop owner, but you might have to, clean some toilets for a little while. I guess that's a point I'm trying to make. It's actually the first thing I picked up on what you said was when we asked why you started a business and you basically said, because there was a need for it. There was, there, yeah, there was a need, there was a need and there was an opportunity and the opportunity, you know, doing a little bit of investigation too, on what you want to do for a living. Like you'd be really naive to not look into it, to see what kind of things are out there. Like we, we had a little bit of a struggle initially getting in, because a lot of the big departments, like say like Erie Police Department, the city of Erie as a whole, had contracts with that other company. 
So there had to be a, a way for us to get into that and not, I don't want to say break their contract, but get them to decide to break their own contracts to come to us. So there was a lot of uh, hurdles, I suppose, in the beginning. And we didn't even realize that when we started. Uh, I think we were got very lucky and we're very fortunate that we got where we got, we got where we are. Um, but you know, if you're getting into a business, you need to research who your, who your customer is and there has to be a customer for it before you start. If there's no customer, then what the heck are you doing? Right. You know, well, I think what you both are, I mean, from what I'm taking from both of what you're saying is maybe I'm summing up too, too condensely, but just you could take risks. Absolutely. You have to be a risk taker, but take smart risks. Sure. And you, you got to be good with your bank too. Like if you don't have money, the banks will give you money. You, you know, you go to the, do your business plan with the bank and they, and they think it looks viable. They'll give you money. Like when we originally started this, you know, we went to the bank to get a credit line just so that we, if there was a big order, we had the money to, to fulfill it. And the bank wanted to give us a loan just to start the business. And we were like, ah, eh, we don't really need it. And, you know, our banker at the time, he, he's become a personal friend now. He was like, why would you use your own money? And it didn't dawn on me. And I'm like, you know, you're right. Why would I use my own money? So we took the loan. And of course, you know, we were able to pay it back shortly, but we we're paid it off way sooner yeah. than the terms. But we're in a position now because of our good relationship with the bank, the banks that we can dic- almost dictate to them the terms of loans that we want from them. We just refinanced our business at an incredible rate because they know we're going to pay our bills. So building a good relationship with the banking industry in business is also very important. I would say probably just as important as maintaining uh, a good relationship with your customers. That makes sense. Got to spend money. Got to spend money to make money. Correct. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's all the questions I have. You guys have been very helpful for me, and I, I think you'll probably be very helpful for our for our listeners as well. It was so great meeting you guys, and for anyone listening and has is wearing a uniform right now, Urban Outfitters in uniform. Uniform. <laughs> oh my god. Sorry. Don't go to Urban Outfitters. They don't sell uniforms anyways. <laughs> and they're way overpriced, but just, yeah, uniform outfitters in the Erie PA. Yes, thank you. Alrighty, thank you very much. I appreciate it. I appreciate your-